So Money Episode 242, Luke Landis. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today on the show, we have whom I think is a true leader in the financial education space. He is one of the first personal finance bloggers to really take the stage in a big way in the early 2000s, before financial blogging was really a thing. And similar to J.D. Roth, who has been on the show, who was the founder of Get Rich Slowly, a very popular personal finance site, we have on the show today H. Luke Landis, or Luke. He's the founder of Consumerism Commentary. You may have heard of it. One of the first independent personal finance blogs. And on it, Luke held himself accountable for his own financial decisions. He had quite a journey to financial independence. The website became one of the most popular to provide basic financial guidance to particularly young people, focusing on education, awareness, and decision-making. And Luke also had an accompanying podcast on which he's interviewed me several times, and so I'm happy now to have him on my show and put him in the hot seat. Luke is also the founder of the Plutus Awards, a way to highlight independent financial publishers. I actually took home the Plutus Award last year for Best Personal Finance Book when I published When She Makes More. So I'm deeply grateful to Luke and to all those involved in the awards for that honor. And speaking of Plutus, Luke is also the founder, the new founder of Plutus Foundation, a community foundation with a mission to provide opportunities for the financial media community to support programs that enhance the financial capability and well-being of citizens of the world. What a mission. Several takeaways from our time with Luke. He takes us back to his not-so-money days when he was broke, jobless, moving back in with his dad. He said it was a time in his life when he was, quote, burying his head in the sand. Why? I asked him. What made him so afraid of facing the music? We talk about starting a blog and turning it into a business. You know, consumerism commentary was purchased a few years ago, and Luke discusses what it takes to make money as a blogger. And with the launch of the Plutus Foundation, Luke aims to spread financial awareness. What does he see today as being the greatest financial need in the marketplace? Here we go. Here is Luke Landis. Luke Landis, welcome to So Money. So nice to have you on my show this time. You've been very generous in the past having me on your blog and consumerism commentary. So I'm really honored to be able to pay back the favor. Oh, no, it's not at all. I mean, I'm honored to be on your show. It's it's such a great show. I'm happy to be here. Let's start by learning more about the Plutus Foundation. This is a new venture for you. Very exciting, extremely philanthropic. Share with us the mission and why you wanted to start this. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Plutus started with uh, an awards ceremony. And in fact, it started um, six years ago. And it was uh, before there was a conference for our community. Uh, my thoughts behind uh, the Plutus Awards was to create a way for the community to come together, appreciate each other, the work that we all do, and to give this idea of independent online 
publishing a little more of a boost um, and uh, representation amongst the wider, more traditional media. Uh, because, uh, you know, for, for a while, independent publishers didn't have as much of a uh yeah as much recognition as i thought this community should have uh this is there are great writers who may not be employed by magazines and newspapers and there's a lot of great information out there and the plutus awards would be a way for us to celebrate that we can move the community forward by paying attention to those who are doing the best work uh and um and at the same time it would give some of these expert independent writers an opportunity to show appreciation for the products and services in the financial industry that we feel are the best and that other companies should emulate. So that's why there's two sections to the Plutus Awards. The first is to honor independent publishers and podcasters, and the other is to show appreciation for the products and services that we think are the best. And now you have launched Plutus Foundation. Tell us about that. That's really a, a broader mission, and it just recently got its 501c3 designation. Yeah, I'm super excited about that as well. The Plutus Foundation started because I have been trying to think of how I can leave a legacy while still um, remaining involved with this um, financial community, even though my the site that I founded, Consumerism Commentary, was sold several years ago. I still want to stay involved, and uh, charitable uh, giving and charitable missions were always a part of what I did with Consumerism Commentary. I wanted to find uh, a way for me to continue doing this and um, you know, spreading this important mission. Uh, so the mission of the Plutus Foundation is to provide opportunities for the financial media community to support programs that enhance the financial capability and well-being of citizens of the world. It's a very general mission, but that's on purpose uh, because this will give a way for the uh, board of trustees and for the steering committee to Come up with uh, come up with what might be most needed at any particular time um, in terms of financial uh, need across the world, and um, and deal with it directly in that in, the, in that way. So it provides an opportunity for other independent bloggers who are doing well with their businesses and their blogs to pool their charitable resources together. Um, and eventually create an endowment um, that will continue to support the things that we feel as a community are important to us forever. What do you see as one of the greatest financial needs out there? If you had to pick one, I know this is going to be a collective decision, but uh, if, you know, according to you, what do you think is something that is in a dire need? Well, financial literacy is um, an issue that's important to my heart. And I think that a lot of um, a lot of efforts tend to not work well. Um, that's probably putting it a little lightly. Um, financial literacy efforts tend to fail, um, especially when you look and see some of the results over time that we get from very popular efforts and very well-meaning, um, such as putting financial uh, courses uh, as required in uh, high school curricula. Uh, there's some problems and there's some specific reasons why trying to teach people to stay out of debt and use good use good decision making when it comes to their money uh, don't work in, in, you know, across a variety of communities. Um, 
you know, throughout the country. So uh, financial literacy is important, but I wanted to go about it uh, a very different way. Um, one of the things that I think would work better than, say, uh, uh, putting classes in schools is to is to build programs directly within communities. Um, part of the problem with anything you learn in school is that if you go home and education isn't a priority and the lessons that you learn aren't reinforced by your home life, then the things you learn in school don't really stick with you. And by working with community leaders and with organizations, you know, I'm just throwing out a few here like uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters or Boys and Girls Clubs um, and work with them to develop programs within the community um, where the role models with uh, the role models dealing with the financial issues are people from the communities, people respected and people that kids look up to and will hopefully see as role models that teach them how to uh, live their life uh, more financially responsibly. Uh, so that that is why, you know, instead of looking at just doing a pure charity, um, you know, I, 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 I turned... I turned my ideas towards a foundation because that way we can support organizations um, who are already within communities doing great work um, instead of coming in as outsiders um, and going into community and trying to leave lessons and then leave and then not provide any um, role model support, which is which is what's really necessary, I believe. Um, so that was my initial um, uh approach to the charitable issues um but uh you know like like we already said this is that's that's only my personal approach and that with a board of trustees and a steering committee there's an opportunity for lots of voices to be heard in terms of how we're going to give support going forward how did you get started in this area, Luke? I know for years you ran the blog Consumerism Commentary. Your reach was outstanding. The content was very, very powerful. What made you want to enter this space? Let's go back a little bit and talk about how you got started. It's, it's funny that you said space because there wasn't really a space when I started. It was, well, there was space in that there was nothing out there. Um, and what what triggered consumerism commentary was several things. First of all, was the issues I was dealing with in my own life. Um, I had found myself in a very precarious financial situation, and I need to. I, I came to a realization when I hit my personal rock bottom that I needed to figure out how to claw my way out of that hole. Um, and I had started. This is around the turn of the millennium. I had started reading more about money management online. And uh, one of my favorite locations to go to read uh, great information um, wasn't necessarily the you know financial columns in the newspapers and it wasn't the investing um, you know it wasn't the investing magazines it was the Motley Fool um, which had message boards where just about anybody could could write whatever they wanted and discuss uh, great things there was a living below your means message board which I think uh, you know I spent a lot of time reading and, and um, at this time, I had already been a blogger. Um, I'd been blogging since, um, well, uh, since 
you know, for a few years before that, and even before blogging was a word, before there was software called Blogger, um, I had been creating websites and updating them. So I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea if I could, you know, start a new blog, and this one would be about my own financial journey, my own journey towards improving my finances. As far as I knew, no one had done this before, and I wasn't really looking for a community. I just wanted to get my thoughts out there. Um, there were a lot of other blogs I had tried. Um, I had a personal blog, um, which was, you know, I continued updating for for years until consumerism commentary kind of took over my life. Um, but I had tried different things like a fitness blog just to track how I was doing and, you know, towards getting in shape. And it, it never really caught on. But the financial blog just seemed to catch something. And um, this was at a time, 2003, five years before the um, the recession hit. Um, so what ended up happening is that more and more people started being concerned about their own finances. More and more people started getting introduced to blogging because it became very popular after the 2004 election cycle. Um, so uh, over the years, this huge community grew out of financial blogging. It just didn't exist when I started. Um, so it was really fun to be on the forefront of what ended up being this, this great movement. And now there's so many great independent financial writers, so many great bloggers. Um, and, you know, they've all been inspired by their own lives and the blogs that have come before them. And it's, it's great to have been a part of it. Luke, let's talk a little bit about your financial philosophy as somebody who did uh, have a lot of years under his belt uh, writing about money and interviewing a lot of people about money. What would you say is your number one financial philosophy? That's a good question. And I think this came much more clear to me um, over the years uh, as I spent everyday writing and kind of um, introspectively looking at myself and, and thinking about, you know, what's what's really important and i think what it came down to um is something that came right out of my own personal situation um you know i just put my head in the sand when things started getting financially rough for me um and uh you know i thought that the more i ignored things um you know, life would be fine and things would just go away and I wouldn't have to deal with it. Obviously, that's not how the world works. And I kind of had to grow up a little to learn that. Um, and uh, so for me, you know, the philosophy comes down to one main thing, which is just start paying attention. And um, as long as you become aware, um, you can you can look at yourself and you can self-evaluate and you can start to figure out what you need to do to move forward. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are other rules of thumb and other, you know, um, messages that people tend to like, like, um, you know, don't, don't spend more than you're earning. I think all of those types of yeah, rules are great, but it really comes down. None of this would even be possible if you're not paying attention. Um, if you keep your head in the sand and you're not uh, aware of what's going on around you, uh, nothing that anyone tells you will ever make a difference in your life. You just have to start looking at yourself and start paying attention. Mm -hmm. Why were you putting your head in the sand? I'm curious. What was emotionally going on in, in your brain? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I was actually working for a nonprofit 
Um, this is again around the turn of the century. And um, I had made some bad decisions. Um, I wasn't earning a lot of money. I was living far away from this nonprofit where, where this office was. And um, I wasn't, I, my, my financial situation was just getting worse and worse. And I had student loan debt to pay off and I wasn't doing it. I had credit card debt. I was taking cash advances from my credit card because I needed to pay the rent. Um, and, uh, you know, it just wasn't, it, it, you know, I, the, the more, the more this was getting worse, the more I just tended to ignore it. Um, I had speeding tickets that I wasn't paying off. Um, you know, it turned out my license was suspended and I didn't know it cause I had moved and I never changed my mailing address. I mean, there were so many decisions, um, which eventually led to me losing my job, losing my apartment, uh, losing my girlfriend, and losing my car. And I'm listing those in no particular order. But, um, you know, those are all things that happened to me within the span of about three or four months. I had to move back in with my father, uh, who had recently just moved in with his relatively new, you know, life partner at the time. Um, you know, my parents were divorced, um, you know, about 15 years ago. And, uh, and they're both happy now with new partners. But uh, my father had just met and moved in with uh, with with um, with his new girlfriend, and so I felt myself being a Third burden wheel. on them. <laughs> yeah, I I, I didn't want to stay there long. I knew I had to make some changes in my life fast. Um, you know, it was How quickly going you? downhill. How old were you um, at the time? I was about twenty, uh, twenty three or twenty four. Mm. So this segues us to my next question, which is that along the way, perhaps you weren't given the education that you felt you needed to help you through this time early on in your life. What was your exposure to money growing up? How would you characterize it? And what's your biggest money memory? That's a good question. Um, I, I don't feel that I had an unhealthy money education growing up. I feel I just didn't put a priority on it. Um, I was, uh, you know, I decided to go to school to study music education, which I think is a great endeavor. Um, and, uh, I wanted to be involved in nonprofits from the very beginning. Um, However, I was probably not in a financial situation that would make it easy to do so. And, um, you know, I, I never really kind of uh, intellectually, I knew about debt, but I never had the experience of dealing with debt. Um, you know, my parents didn't share with me their own financial issues, um, but I was a pretty smart kid. At least I thought I was. I just wasn't, you know, I was I was probably too smart to deal with money. And that's probably part of the problem. Um, you know, I just I figured things would work out if if, uh, you know, I just followed followed my dreams to do do what I wanted. And in a way, uh, you know, that's, that's still good advice for a lot of people, but you have to be, you have to take a practical look. Um, I wasn't very practical and I spent time doing things that I wanted to do regardless of what my responsibilities were, uh, which is just kind of the way I was. And, you know, even to this day, people say I still have my head in the clouds and, uh, aren't always as grounded as I should be. Um, and you know, there's there's a point where that's just your personality and you, you're a dreamer and you do things like that. And um, but at the same time, 
you got to be grounded, especially when it comes to something very real world like financial issues. Otherwise, you end up in trouble and, and nobody's going to be able to save you. What was your moment, your money moment that you felt you turned a corner? What was that first moment like for you? Uh, was it when you moved out of your dad's place, finally uh, regained your job, license, car? I mean, at what, what point did you feel like you had turned a corner for the better? That's a good question. I mean, the recovery for me was pretty slow and gradual. Because once I lost my job and lost my apartment and and went through everything that I described earlier, um, you know, I basically it came down to you need to find a job that is accessible by train and, you know, has the potential to to support you financially. So I, I got a job for a financial company, you know, just a couple train stops away from there. You know, I started to realize that that was that was the first point that I started to realize that, you know, I have a potential here now to um, support myself and eventually support some of these dreams that I still have, um, like working with nonprofits and um, being involved in the arts. So that started me out on the path. And the corner that I turned, it was it was a slow turn because different pieces fell into place over a long period of time. And probably the biggest one, you know, there were some major turning points. And the first is probably when I realized that not only could I share my thoughts online about my own personal finances and help people, but I can actually leverage that as a business. I mean, that never occurred to me when I started, but you know, these days people don't even start a blog if they don't think that they can earn money from it. But that wasn't the case back in the early 2000s. I, uh, you know, when when I realized that there was an opportunity here to build a business out of something that I love doing, writing online, that was that was a really important moment for me. And again, it took a long time from that point for it to be a sustainable business. I didn't quit my day job until uh, 2010, so that's about six or seven years after I started earning the first penny from the website. And so that was another turning point when I quit my day job. I probably could have done it sooner, but I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to be safe and I saw the risk in this and I just wanted to have a cushion for myself in case things went bad because you never know uh, when it comes to revenue online. Absolutely. How did you monetize the site primarily? How were you in business with the blog? Mostly it was advertising Um, and advertising. There's different forms of advertising that you can earn money from with, with a website. You know, it started off with, with AdSense. And at the time, bloggers were first starting to add AdSense um, onto their sites and first dabbling with monetization because a lot of publishers were worried at the time that they would alienate their readership. Um, And if you had a pretty big readership, that's something that you'd be concerned about. You wouldn't want to just throw up an an advertisement and for someone to say, oh, look, this website has sold out to, you know, to big companies and we don't want to read this website anymore. I found out that as long as you keep providing great articles and great content and um, give people a reason to keep coming back, um, the sensitivity is, uh, you know, it isn't as there as much as we thought it would be. 
Um, and then just over time, advertising grew. This I, I mentioned the recession before. Everyone started being concerned about their personal finances and traffic uh, visitors to the website, mine and many others within you know that uh, within this personal finance space just grew immensely. And advertisers were very very interested in getting in front of a um, a uh, well intentioned audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say my career even just really took off during the recession. It was also the time when I got laid off. So I experienced both ends of the spectrum. I, I experienced, mm-hmm. you know, getting a pink slip. And then I also experienced being extremely busy and making um, some nice uh, income during that time. Because like you said, everybody and their cat was interested in personal finance. Uh, so it was in some ways very opportunistic for people in the space. What would you say, Luke, is your number one money habit? Something that you practice on a consistent basis that helps you directly with your financial well-being? Uh, Probably always checking in. And by that, I mean just making sure that my finances are doing what I expect them to do. Um, I check my accounts almost almost every day, at least several times a week now, um, especially, um, you know, one, one of the one of the problems that I had with my life as as the person behind consumerism commentary is that in order to uh, review financial accounts and give the best information to my readers, I had to open up a lot of accounts across a wide variety of financial institutions, a lot of banks. I would review savings accounts and I wanted to open accounts for, you know, every time I reviewed something, I wanted to have a personal experience with it. And that left me with several dozen financial accounts, um, savings accounts and checking accounts across, I don't know how many, how many banks, but you know, one of the first things that I started doing when I was moving away from consumerism commentary was to consolidate all of that. So between just checking my accounts regularly and consolidating and keeping things as simple as possible, those are, those are the keys for me to, you know, staying on top of my finances and making sure I'm going in the right direction today. And forgive me, I don't know this, maybe I should. What happened to consumerism commentary? You sold it? Are you still doing it? Yes. Well, in uh, 2011, I sold consumerism commentary to uh, to a company. And this is all information that's that's widely out there now. So I'm not telling any secrets. It's the same company that now owns Get Rich Slowly and a few other financial blogs. They've been a great company to work with. And after I sold the website, I continued to work on it for, you know, I continued to do pretty much what I was doing, except handling the, the advertising side of things. I wasn't handling anything business related with the website. I was still continuing to write articles uh, every week, several a week, continuing to promote the website and get people to come visit and, and uh, interacting with other people on behalf of the website. That I, I, I did begin to pull away from it a couple of, uh, you know, um, soon after the, the website was sold. And as of now, I, I'm no longer writing for the website, which is actually news for last month, um, about a month ago. So, um, you know, I'm moving forward now and focusing my time on the Plutus Foundation. Um, you know, consumerism commentary is still a great site and all the content is going to be there in perpetuity as far as I know. Um, so there's certainly enough for people to read through and get, get addicted to now. They have some other writers that will be contributing to the site going forward. Forward. Very briefly, can you share how a blogger can go about finding someone to buy the blog? What, when are you in 
business in, in to that extent and where you become attractive to a, a company that would want to come in and take over? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I certainly didn't start on start out on a path to build a business and then sell that business uh, when I started consumerism commentary. So I, I've been kind of learning as I as I went along, and um, I don't consider myself a good business person <laughs> at all. Um, so you know, this this was all very new to me in terms of you know building a product or a uh, business and then and then selling it, um, but. There's, there's always, there's always people willing to purchase a business that is producing some sort of revenue. Um, There's always a market for it. The, The problem will be finding someone who is willing to pay what you think that revenue is worth. It worked out for me, you know, again, I try to look forward and look to the future. I see in terms of business, there's a lot that still can be done with blogs, but I think that the future is going to be, you know, something more mobile, more more mobile app related. I didn't see a clear transition path for consumerism commentary. I also saw a lot of risk in continuing. A lot a lot of the revenue for this particular website was built on search engine traffic and that tends to be very volatile. So there was there was this risk involved that a large company might feel that they're better able to handle that risk, whether it's through diversity in different websites or whether it's through the staffing necessary to make uh, to make changes and to stay state of the art. I didn't feel prepared to do the things necessary to um, combat some of the issues that I was having with the stability of revenue. And I was lucky in that the company that was interested was willing to pay a a price that was that I felt that took, um, you know, that took some of the risk off my shoulders. So um, it ended up being a good deal for me. I think it was a good deal for the company as well. Although I think some of the fears that I had in terms of what would happen if I held on to the site uh, pretty much came true in terms of, um, you know, the, the competitiveness of search engine traffic, you know, the need to diversify in order to maintain, maintain a good business. To make a long story short, the the ability to sell a business like a website depends on a lot of factors. And the biggest one is whether someone is just willing to pay you what you think um, what you think is the best price. And a lot of a lot of bloggers will feel that their website is worth a lot more than, you know, a strong purchaser would be willing to pay. And that could end up in a situation where these sites just don't get sold. Mm. So you have to be pretty reasonable and not, I mean, a lot of emotion goes into blogging, a lot of passion. So you might be clouded, your judgment might be clouded as far as the actual value. And these days, I think what's difficult is that there's so much overvaluation when it comes to blogs and any kind of tech, financial tech service. I find that, you know, you get your valuations these days are like half a billion, a billion, you know, so you might think your blog is worth at least a million. And part, part of the problem is that people read that, you know, websites do sell for seven or eight figures. And there's not a lot of information around that to explain why they're valued um, at that range. And so it, it makes it easy for for other bloggers to think that, you know, there must be a market and I'm going to get a million dollars or $2 million or $10 million. And, um, you know, I, I think it just sets up 
it sets up some poor expectations. And, you know, the valuations in the tech industry, definitely scary. I mean, you know, I I never want to call a bubble because I'm not an expert and people who call things are generally wrong. It may not be in public public companies like it was with the dot-com bubble, but definitely in venture capital, uh, there's just so much money flowing. And I think it clouds people's um, clouds people's visions uh, a little bit. Let's do some so many fill in the blanks, Luke, shall we? Sure. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is? Uh, fund the foundation. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And hopefully you have some money left over to buy something fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've I've been renting and, you know, maybe it would be nice to settle down somewhere at some point, but I just I just don't know where. So we'll see. The one thing I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is Blue Apron. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I really like it. Um I you know, I'm a single guy living alone and um I, I don't know how much you want me to go into detail in terms of Well tell of us the- I know what it is, but a lot of our listeners might not. So tell us what it is. Um, well, it's a it's basically an an ingredient delivery service. Um, you know, every week that you'll get a shipment of fresh ingredients um, and recipes, and you can uh, cook meals for yourself. Basically, one shipment a week lasts me the entire week, um, and this way I don't have to go shopping for groceries, and I don't have to give put any thought into what I'm going to cook any particular week. It's just all laid out for me, and it makes my life so much easier. And you learn how to cook, which is another a bonus to this, where if you like to, if you're interested in that, you know, it's another advantage instead of just ordering take-in. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm learning a lot about ingredients and, you know, what to do in order to make a meal's tasty. So, uh, so it's been definitely a learning experience for me and um, it, it has made my life a lot easier. My biggest guilty pleasure is... Oh, um... Let's see. I would say coin collecting. Um, you know, I haven't spent a lot of money on it recently, but um, you know, I do enjoy. Uh, I enjoy uh, just the just the hobby of it. Um, you know, just having coins to look at once in a while. Not because it's money, because you know, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting art form. Yeah. Well, so what do you collect typically? Um, the lately, I've been interested in sense and i've been interested in um peace dollars so those are probably some of my uh more interesting um coins that that i hold on to um mostly just u.s coins um but uh but yeah yeah it's uh it's something i i haven't had a chance to spend a lot of time with lately but um it's something that uh you know when i when i do spend some time on it i get some pleasure out of it cool one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is um just that uh money is more than just uh you know something to worry about when it goes wrong but um it's something that you need to pay attention to constantly. When I donate, I like to give to blank because um, I like to give to arts um, uh, causes. Um, like I said, I studied music education in college. I'm very passionate about music. I'm very passionate about theater and the arts. Those are all causes that um, I enjoy and get a lot of pleasure out of, um, you know, providing my uh, time, treasure and talent, as they say. And last but not least, I'm Luke Landis. I'm so money because... <laughs> 
Uh, because I, um, I really love the financial blogging community. And um, I'm looking for, I'm always looking for ways to, to improve um, and uh, myself and always looking to help other people. Well, thanks, Luke, for all the help that you're providing us. Everybody check out PlutusFoundation.org to learn more about how to get involved. And congratulations. It's very exciting and looking forward to seeing you hopefully at the next FinCon. Absolutely. I'll, I'll be there and I'll be, I'll be ready to uh, have lots of fun with everybody. Excellent. Have a good one, Luke. You too. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks again, Luke Landis, for joining us on So Money. If you'd like to learn more about Luke, his website, PlutusFoundation.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Luke underscore Landis, L-A-N-D-E-S. All this info at SoMoneyPodcast.com, where we've got the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And I want to hear from you. Send me your question. Click on Ask Farnoosh while you're at SoMoneyPodcast.com, and send me your thoughts about money, career, family. I mean, people are asking me whether they should have kids, uh, where they should live. The questions really run the gamut. And I'm I'm kind of shocked you're asking me such broad questions, but I'm also pretty flattered that you would think I'd have a good some good feedback. So appreciate all your questions, no matter what they are. Send them over and I will hopefully answer them on Ask Farnoosh. And if you'd like to connect with me one-on-one, just hop on to iTunes and leave a review for this show because every Saturday I pick one new reviewer to receive that free 15-minute money blitz. So hopefully we'll connect. Thanks everyone for tuning in. See you back here next time. In the meantime, hope your day is so money. Money.